Well, this is week two of Month of the Family. It's my pleasure to introduce you our speaker this morning. Uh, Tim Smith has, is no stranger to ABF. He's actually preached here in the past. He is uh, the founder and president and executive director, Chief Honcho, the man El Jefe. Is that all the titles? Of, of uh, Life Skills for the American Families. And I can say that in, in uh, all uh, kindness and, and um, friendship. Actually, Tim and I have known each other for 35 years. And in fact, if you want to know the real scoop, just see me after the service. <laughs> no, we have taken a blood oath together to not reveal anything from our past. No, it's nothing like that. Tim is just an awesome friend. Some of you know, that, know him from his years on staff at Calvary Community Church. And more recently, in the last 10 plus years, he's been a parent coach doing counseling and marriage uh, retreats. He goes to all the coolest places. He would never tell you this, but a few years ago, he did a little pro football thing in Hawaii during the Pro Bowl with some lesser known football players, apparently. Uh, he has a real heart for helping families. One of the cool things he does, if you go out to his table, he has a foundation that helps people who have no money for marriage counseling, family counseling, etc. And so he has people who sponsor that, and then he's able to actually give people what they need, even if they can't afford it. He's got a lot of great books. I mentioned last Tuesday uh, this one, uh, 52 Creative Family Time Experiences. That's out there. And then the title of the seminar this Wednesday, as we said, is The Danger of Raising Nice Kids, which is out there. The most important thing you know about Tim, though, is this, this one fact. What Tim says, he lives. He's not one of those guys who writes books and then kind of does his own thing. He has lived this marriage and parenting thing with Suzanne and his two daughters uh, for 30-plus years, and I believe that you're in for a treat. Would you give a warm ABF welcome to my friend, Tim Smith? Thanks, John. Boy, you read that introduction right off the script. That was good. That was perfect. Well rehearsed. Hey, it's good to be back with you, friends. Are you excited about today? I am. I'm a Charger fan, so I'm going to be praying a little bit later on. Not the Agoura Chargers, the San Diego Chargers. I know there's another Charger. But it's exciting just to be there. It's like a miracle. Um, but I'm a family coach, and one of the things that happens in December is people stop coming to see me because they're like at the mall and spending money. And um, how many of you spent time with your family at, over the holidays? Okay. Yeah, I can tell by looking at you. Some of you look kind of wiped out. <laughs> Families in the holidays, they can be inspirational. It can be joyful. It can be encouraging. Or it can be, you know, not inspirational, discouraging. It can be, you know, critical. You know, families can be either or. And so, like, December, there's kind of a lull for me in my family coaching and speaking because people are spending their money and their time elsewhere. I totally get it. And then in January, or right after Christmas, I get the calls. My family's driving me crazy. When can I see you? It's Christmas Day. I'm not going to come see you. <laughs> and so then it you know, peaks up in January. Why is that? Because family can either be a haven or it can be you know, the opposite of haven. You know? Pick your word. It begins with H, right? So I'm here to help us discover how to make our homes more like the haven, healthier, and hopefully happier, and guess this, holier. 
How do we strengthen faith at home? So when we go to that home environment or we hang out with the extended family, it's a positive experience versus just a draining one. So one of the things that I like to do as a family coach is I actually meet with people and I coach them and I counsel them because I want them to be healthy families. And by the way, I learned from John, part of creativity, I like to think of myself as a creative person, but part of innovation and creativity is just being really good at the knockoff, you know. And so John, several years ago, started Month of the Family, right? Like 30 years ago or something like that. And so I took that cue and I go, John, that's really a good idea. I need to do that at our church, except I'm a competitive person. So we're going to do 40 days for the family. And Agora Bible Fellowship was one of the churches that participated in 40 days for the family. So throw down, John. We're being biblical. Um, I know you're going 50. Next year, 50. Jubilee. Anyway, we did month of the family, and or, I mean 40 days for the family, and Agora was one of, ABF was one of 12 churches that participated. We did it for four, four years, and uh, part of that was just introducing people to the idea of, guess this, spend time with your family. <laughs> and I'm glad you're doing this month of the family, because a lot of times we start the year and we think individually. But what would happen if we thought about what can I do to impact faith at home? And what can I do to be a healthier, happier family in 2014? So I'm sitting down with Carlos, who says, you know what? I'm a leader at work. When I walk into my business, since I'm the, you know, El Jefe there, they give me all kinds of respect. They listen to what I say. They work together as a team, at least in front of me. But then I come home and it's just the opposite. I get dissed. People don't work with me. They ignore me. I get no respect at home. I said, well, maybe it's because you're treating your teenagers like your employees. They won't respond too well. He says, well, what am I supposed to do? I go to church and they tell me to be a spiritual leader and I get lost at the first word. I don't know what it means to be spiritual. I certainly don't know what it means to be a leader, but you put them two together and I get even more confused. What does it mean to be a spiritual leader? So here's Carlos, does well at work, but he comes home, he's not sure how to lead at home. And I said, well, if you're not sure how to lead at home, what do you wind up doing? He goes, I come home, put on Sports Center, and just chillax. I just chick out. I don't really care about my kids. I let my wife, I've outsourced the parenting to my wife. I go, how's that working for you? He goes, not so well. That's why I'm here. She set this appointment up. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> and he goes, so when they say spiritual leader, he goes, I can't even get a picture of what that looks like in my life. I go, well, why is that? And he goes, well, because I've never really seen one. I grew up in a home. I mean, I don't even know what it means to be a spiritual leader as a dad. And I grew up in a home without a good role model. Uh, plus, I'm too busy providing for the family. Isn't that enough? And I'd suggest to you that that is a conversation that I've had with lots of moms and dads. I don't know what you're talking about when it means lead spiritually at home. I don't have a really good role model with my mom or dad for various reasons. And I'm too busy just providing for these kids to even, that, that's, my plate is full. That's all I can do. So I don't even know what you're talking about, Carlos said. And I said, well, let me tell you. There are five keys to a healthy family. So I took him through the five keys. And these five keys are based on research done by Search Institute. And Search Institute studied 1,511 different families, all kinds of different families, so this applies to you. If you're going, hey, I'm a single person, I don't have a family, you know, 
This applies to you because you hopefully have a friend. Okay? And this applies to anybody that has a home. That's why we call it strengthening faith at home versus strengthening faith with your family. Because you may not have your family around here. You may not want to be around your family. You might have housemates or roommates or neighbors or friends or you might have people at work. So this applies to everybody. All kinds of families were studied here, all these 1,511 families. Grandparents were the primary caregivers raising kids, single moms, single dads. People of every different socioeconomic, ethnic background, religious background, all these different kinds of families. So it was a representative sample of families in America, and the study was just done in 2012. In November, they reported the findings, and here's what they said. If you have these five qualities, and you have these habits that are under these five qualities that add up to 21 different assets for a healthy family, then your family will be able to endure, your family will generate you know, happiness and health, and you'll resist you know, uh, physical health, uh, illness rather, and you'll also be stronger emotionally. So you're just going to be you know, more supportive and you're going to be healthier and vibrant and you're going to have stronger faith. So instead of talking about all five, we're just going to focus on three. Because I don't want to overburden you and stress you out at the beginning of the year. I just picked three because these are the three that I see the most in families. And I thought, why don't we just start with those three? And they're right in scripture. So what's so funny is they spent two to three million dollars on this survey. And here's what they found out. The answer was in the Bible all along. But, you know, sociologists, they have to do that. They have to spend money and justify the grants and stuff like that. So it's right there in Ephesians 4. So take a look at it. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. And we also have this handout because I'm going to ask you to complete it and think about it and then put it in your new notebook that your church has given you today. I think that's such a great idea. Because I go to church, I fill out the sermon notes, and I just throw them in my back seat. And I don't think that's the best idea to store notes. So now if you've got a notebook, this is cool. You're less likely. I might have to come to ABF just to get the notebook. <laughs> so the first one is nurturing relationships with positive words. Our words can nurture relationships. Our words can be powerful. Words are so powerful that God just spoke and created life with a word. Let there be... Life, 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 life. And there was life. God's word generated life. Our words can also generate death. I posted on Facebook yesterday just to let people know what I'm doing, ask for their prayer. Because I thought there was this funny analogy. I just put that in there. I got some responses from it. Some of your friends on Facebook, so some of you might have seen it. What would happen if you went to a football game and they had pessimistic cheerleaders? And they get up there and go, you can't do it, you can't do it, no, you can't. You can't do it, no, you can't, no, you can't. <clears throat> if you're the basketball or football player, would that inspire you? Yeah, not me. So let's just practice just to get in the, get in the mood of, you know, pessimistic cheerleaders. Okay, you ready? Give me an L. L. Give me an O. Oh. Give me an S. S. Give me an E. e. What does it spell? Lose. 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 What are we going to do? Lose. Oh, isn't that fun? <laughs> oh, man, that makes me just want to run out there and charge the field. Can you imagine a pessimistic coach or a pessimistic cheerleader going, no, I, don't, 
We don't stand a chance today, guys. We're so bad. Did you see how big they are? Huh? No. That's a bad thing. Instead of words inspiring us, they can discourage us. For instance, this morning, I got dressed. I tried on my shirt. My wife said, looked at the shirt and she said, it's a little short in the front. I said, I'm going out the door. I don't have time to change it. I turned around. She goes, it's long in the back. She goes, it's not your best shirt. I'm feeling discouraged. I thought the fact that I semi-ironed it was good enough. See? So then she said, you know what it is? Short in the back and long in... Or short in the front and long in the back? It's a mullet shirt. <laughs> so for a while I was discouraged because I was wearing, you know, the short in the front and long in the back. But she said, it's a mullet shirt. And I felt a little bit better. And she goes, you look handsome. Now I felt better. She semi-redeemed herself. <laughs> Notice she's not here. Okay. <clears throat> so it's just one of those moments. I'm just being vulnerable. It was like I was dressed. You know, I, I thought I looked pretty good. And then she went, bam! Your, short, your shirt's too short. I'm like, ugh. I'm not changing it now. It's a mullet shirt. Ha, ha, ha. Our words can either encourage us or discourage us. And that happens in our homes. It happens with our co-workers. But we can nurture relationships with positive words. And our words can be positive or negative. And when we give positive words to somebody that we care about, we're blessing them. And when we give negative words to people, we're cursing them. A blessing is an addition, and a cursing is a subtraction. Some of you are going, I didn't know we were going to do math at church. But it's like this. When we bless people with our words that are positive, we're adding to their life. We're making it a positive into their life. When we're cursing people and saying negative, you know, put-down words, disrespectful words, hurtful words, we're withdrawing. And we do that in families all the time. We do that in marriages all the time. I had a couple in my offices this week, and I said, can we just start with the positive words? Every time you think of a negative, critical word, flip it around and try to make it positive. They're like, I don't think we can do that. I go, that's why we're talking about this. So we talk about how you can do that specifically. Think of it this way. After lunch, you decide to go out to lunch. I mean, after church, you decide to go out to lunch. Let's get the sequence right here. After church, you want to go to lunch, so then you go to the ATM. You put your card in, put your pin in, and it says you have an extra thousand dollars. You're going, hallelujah! Get Pentecostal right there at the ATM. That's good. You're, something was added. Or you go to the ATM after church, put in your pin number, and you realize you're overdrawn. You're surprised. A thousand dollars overdrawn? Oh no. That's cursing. You might even let out some cursing. Some golf words fly. <laughs> Blessing is adding to our lives. Cursing is taking away. And we can do these powerful things with our words. It's amazing. If it wasn't true, we wouldn't even bother having cheerleaders. Because we're like, we don't really need them. But they really help us when they're positive. And positive parents can be the cheerleaders in the lives of their children and teenagers. And the same with grandparents. So, nurturing relationships with positive words. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, 
that it may benefit those who listen. A lot of times I think that I get into trouble when I'm thinking about what I need instead of what the other person needs. And when I'm concerned about what I need, I get caught up in this reactive thing. Like, it's all about me. I get defensive and I start attacking or hostile. And I say something that's probably not concerned about the other person's needs. And it rarely goes well. So I get that part. The part I didn't get was this little part in the first part of the verse. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Has anybody used the word wholesome or unwholesome in the last week? You did? How did you use it? Too many times. times. That's good that you're using it. I was thinking of this word, wholesome and unwholesome. I, I haven't used that word in a long time. I mean, it sounds like Wonder Bread for some reason. I don't know why. I don't eat white bread anymore. So I'm going, who uses the word wholesome or unwholesome? So you have more vocabulary than a lot of us. And it, was it unwholesome entertainment or something like that? Come up here and let's talk about your life. No. <laughs> really, what's unwholesome in your life? Let's put it up on the screen. No, that would be... We don't use it that much, so I wanted to look at it. Thank you for playing along, by the way. I wanted to look at it and see what it actually meant. And here's what it means in the Greek, which is, you know, the language the Bible was written in. Here's what it means. It means toxic, tainted, poisonous. It comes from the Greek word patheko. Say that. Patheko. Something to discuss over lunch. Okay? Because we do not want to be eating any food that might be patheko. Corrupt. Toxic. Tainted. Unwholesome. So I was thinking, when have I had an experience with something patheko? Well, about 20 years and 20 pounds ago, I used to go backpacking with, when I was a youth pastor, when that really appealed to me. Now I'm kind of like, you know, where's the Four Diamond Resort? I want to like pull in and stay there. But back then I liked, you know, doing this with the youth group, and it was fun. And one day we were down by the creek getting our water. Because you've got to have water when you're in the Sierras because you get thirsty. Backpacking makes you thirsty. How many of you have ever backpacked before? Okay. How many of you are now into my four-star diamond camping? Okay. <laughs> I can see. We have a split group here. Well, either place you go, whether you're backpacking or you're at the resort, you want to have good water. So we were sipping our water that was coming down the creek from the snow melt. It was delicious and it was cold. And this is June in the Sierras. And so there's plenty of snow mat, snow pack. We're just filling up our water bottles, going, this is great, tastes so good. Finally, got enough water in the Sierras. A ranger comes up and he goes, stop drinking the water. And we're like, what? He goes, there's Giardia in it. I go, there's what? I go, no, it's from the snow melt. He goes, there's Giardia. So he gets a little closer. We go, what's Giardia? He goes, it's a microscopic parasite. We're like, you know. How many of you have heard Giardia? Good to know if you are a Boy Scout, Girl Scout, backpacker. Person that just randomly laps up water out of the creeks. <clears throat> so anybody thirsty here today? Because I have a little extra water for you. So when you have water, it really helps you feel better. So I have some fresh water here. And I also smuggled in a little Giardia from that 
stream. And I'm not going to put a lot in because I've got to save it for other experiments. And it doesn't take a lot of Giardia. Who's thirsty? I saw a couple of hands go up. but <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a sip of this. In fact, you can have the rest of it. Let me just kind of mix up the Giardia. A little microscopic parasites. A little Pathico's in there. A little it's, just, it's, it's mostly water, okay? <laughs> it, it's just a few parasites that will give you dysentery and other things we won't go into at church. Who'd like a sip? He, he would, right here. That's going to... That's going to mess up your singing, though. I don't, I don't want you to get sick. I don't want you to get sick. But our words are the same way. Oh, it was just a few words. It wasn't a lot of words. It was like mostly good. We wouldn't drink water. We wouldn't eat food. It just had a little bit of salmonella in it. Why do we have conversations with just a little bit of toxicity in it? Use the words to build others up. We either build people up with our words or we break them down. I'm a big fan of Air One. Anybody listen to Air One? Yeah, I'm so glad they came to town. I'm so grateful for them because it's a, a soundtrack for my life now. Uh, and if you are kind of depressed and kind of hostile, you need to flip off of news you know, stations because those can be, make you agitated. And listen to Air One because that's worship and focus. And one of the songs that's on there a lot <clears throat> by a band called Hawk Nelson is called Words. And in this song, it's right out of our text. I really appreciate them writing a song and making a video for my message today, uh, is that either words build you up or words break you down. So let's check it out right now. They've made me feel like a prisoner They've made me feel set free They've made me feel like a criminal Made me feel like a king They've lifted my heart To places I've never been And they've dragged me down Back to where I began
So in your handout, there's an opportunity to have an action step there. So here's my assignment from the coach. How can you use words to build others up? Either in your home or at work or your friends. Just take a second and write one little thing that you can do this week to use your will, your words to build others up. What will you do? The second key to a Healthy home and strengthening faith at home is consistency. Consistency. Out of the 1,511 different families that they surveyed by Search Institute, they found out that only 27% of these families were consistent, which means that 73% of us are flakes. It's hard to be consistent, isn't it? In a separate study done by the University of Nebraska, they surveyed a couple thousand school children. K through 12. And they said, what's the number one issue or concern or complaint you have about your parents? And they said that they're not consistent. And then I talked to parents and they said, you know what? We're not on the same page. Mom and dad have different points of view. One thinks this is important, this one, this is important. So we're not consistent. So if we're going to have a home that's healthy and we're strengthening faith, we need to be consistent. But what gets in the way? We get in the way. So this next verse here gives us a solution for that. <clears throat> Ephesians 30, 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Well, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with consistency? Here's what I found out. If I want to be more consistent, it's not about me trying. It's about me surrendering. If I want to be consistent, I can't do it in my own human strength. Which is why only 27% of us are consistent. If I want to be more consistent, I need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. And say, you know what? I can't do this in my own strength. I tend to flake out. <clears throat> my wife might be more active in the discipline, and I'm like, Carlos, just kind of want to check out. Be more passive. And so I... If I'm trying to be more consistent, I need the Holy Spirit to give me the power of the Holy Spirit and self-control. One of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And self-control helps and empowers me to be consistent at home. And the ability to set a course and stick to it. The things that sidetrack us are in the next verse. It's really hard to be consistent when you're emotionally engaged in a negative way. In other words, when you're like 
reacting. Look at all the different types of reaction that sabotage consistency. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Do you have a calm and consistent home when you're raging? <laughs> no, you really don't. So get rid of all bitterness, raging, and anger. Brawling, that means fighting. Slander, along with all, every form of malice. Those are the things that are consistency killers. And yet some of you just survived the family holidays with your family. And that could have been the tone of that atmosphere. Not for all of us, but some of us. So when do we need the most self-control? I remember when our girls were younger. They're older now. They're 31 and 29. And they're married so parenting is actually very easy now with the empty nest. It's, I've got, got it pretty much dialed in. You know, Now I'm working on the dogs. <clears throat> but when the kids were home, they used to push my buttons and I would react. One day we're trying to pack for a trip and we're trying to get out, you know, out the door. And um, they were packed and I was finishing packing the car. <clears throat> and I just said, hey, you guys, they were fighting and everything, brawling, slander, malice, all the, they're living out this verse right here. <laughs> hitting each other and you know, got on the gloves. and Anyway, it was, it was intense. And I said, just sit here on the, and watch the TV. And so they're watching Nickelodeon or whatever. And I'm packing the car. <clears throat> and I was just starting to work in this area of you know, having self-control when it came to discipline. Because I realized that I was in this reactive, angry, punitive mode, which is not good. Um, but I wasn't totally aware of it all the time. And so I came in there watching TV, and they'd stopped hitting each other. But our dog, Bingo, our black lab, had made a mess right in front of them. They're watching Nickelodeon here. There was this mess right here. They're looking right past the smell and the look. Just watching. And so then I just lose it. I just let go of my golf words, and I'm going, what the? You know, all the words that withdraw. What's the matter with you? Blah, 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 you know. We're getting ready to go on a family vacation to build creative, happy family memories. <clears throat> Was that a deposit or a withdrawal by me? That's a withdrawal. So I, I cleaned up the mess and sent them to their rooms. And I came back and I said, you know what? I need to be in timeout instead of you guys. I lost it. You guys were doing the things that I want you to stop doing. I want you to be kind and have self-control. But you know what? I needed self-control too. So my bad. I'm sorry. How about if we all work on this together? If you could work on your self-control, I'll work on mine. And we'll deal with Bingo later on his. Okay? So that's when we start. And I realized I needed to ask God's Spirit to help me have the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Because if I discipline or I correct in anger, anger nullifies discipline. Do you get that? If you discipline in anger, anger nullifies discipline. Instead of your kids focusing on, on what is bad, they'll just go, I am bad. Or, dad's a bad dad. Or, mom's a jerk. You know, and then just write it off. Instead of taking responsibility. So what we want to do is we want to discipline, certainly. But we grieve the Holy Spirit. We kill the process of consistency when we relate in anger. And some of us are just burdened with this bitterness for a family member who offended us. And it's hard to let go. But I'm here to tell you the way to be consistent is giving up the right to be angry. 
I'm not sure I understand your pain or wound entirely. But if you think you have the right to be angry, frankly, you have the right to be disappointed. But what I'm learning is when I give up the right to be angry about something, someone's violation, I discover freedom and, and peace along the way. It's a process. It's not something we do quickly. So I had to learn to ask the Holy Spirit to control me so I can have more consistency in my parenting, particularly disciplining. You know, many of our homes are battlegrounds. We had the minivan filled with take-home papers from the Sunday school or church, Awana. But these kids are going home to angry Christian homes. Kids raised in angry Christian homes are significantly more likely to reject their parents' faith as young adults. 50 to 90% of our kids who grew up in the church attending once or twice a month, 50 to 90% of those kids and children, when they become 17 to 24, they walk away from the faith because they're walking away from an angry Christian, toxic home. And you know what? Maybe they should. Because they're not leaving something genuine. They're leaving something fake. Props to them for walking away from poser faith. But we know what generates, generates authentic faith. James 1.20 Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I'm not talking about being perfect. Because we all blow it. I'm just talking about being real. And when we say things that are inconsistent or hurtful, we just need to own them and say, I'm sorry. I'm trying to be consistent. I'm trying to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I blew it. I'm trying to show you kindness and compassion, which is the next verse. Before we jump to the next verse, let me ask you this about self-control. Where do you need self-control in your life? Regardless of your home situation. Where do you need it? I see it, to give you a driving analogy for those of you who are learning to drive, teenagers and those of you who are veteran drivers. For most of us in our car, there's two pedals. Sometimes there's an occasional third pedal, but most of the time there's two. Accelerator, that's over here. Brake, over here. I was thinking, when you think about this self-control thing, some of us need a brake. We say things and we should be like, eep, you know, back up, beep, beep, little OSHA bell. Wouldn't that be great? We could just like back up and say, I, I didn't say that, rewind, delete. But some of us need a break before we say it because it's not helpful. <clears throat> it's not building the other people up. Others of us are passive and we're like Carlos and we're not engaged in our kids. And we're expecting that their moral and spiritual development will be done at the church. And we just back off. Maybe we need the accelerator. So which do you need? Maybe write that down. Accelerator or brake. <laughs> the cool thing about the Holy Spirit is he helps us do both. Sometimes he breaks us. Sometimes as in stopping us. And other times he does break us as in break us down. But other times he gives us that motivation. If you're lacking motivation and direction and drive, ambition to do the right thing, sometimes, sometimes he can give us that. So we have using positive words to build others up. The idea of being consistent under the influence of the Holy Spirit versus our rage and anger and other things. And then the third thing is friendships, is the third one. Relationships within the family, outside the family, those positive relationships, healthy relationships 
nurture us and give us the kind of atmosphere where our kids are going to say, I want to take that example and that faith with it. Because our kids are more likely to adapt our faith if they come from a healthy home. And a healthy home has positive friendships, both adult and friend-to-friend with kids. And here's the key to good friendships. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So what is the value of Christian friendships in supporting building faith at home? How do friendships come to play? There will come a time with your kids where they don't really want to hear from you anymore. They've kind of, I'm done. I've pretty much learned everything. I'm going to learn from you, Dad, and I'm going to grab my lunch and get off to fifth grade. You know? So sometimes that happens. <clears throat> and it comes early, and it's, it hurts. But if you have Christian friends, other adult friends, like cool workers in children's ministry, Iwana youth ministry, they can come along and say the same things that you've been trying to say when your kids you know, kind of DQ'd you from input, and they can give you the backup, the reinforcement. So we really need that. By the way, when they get older, the teenage, post-teenage years, they come back, and you know, you've restored your credibility. It's wonderful. You've, you've matured a lot during that six years. <clears throat> So we do need to tag team when it comes to parenting and grandparenting. Otherwise, we're not following through what 1 Corinthians 15.33 says about friendship. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Man, we've seen this time after time after time. I can tell you stories. Kids get around another kid. That kid gets around another kid. They start making choices. and they, It's kind of like this idea. Let's get together and have a huddle. What's the stupidest idea we can come up with? Let's go with that. You know, you're kind of like, really? Out of all those people? I don't, it, it's gravity. It like brings it down. It's like dumb and dumber in the huddle. <clears throat> so you got to be careful. So I think part of the problem is we need to train our kids and our teenagers to be discerning and compassionate. See that as a balance. Discerning and compassionate. Kind of live out this first. Discerning, not everybody is your friend nor should they be your friend. And then compassionate is, have compassion like Jesus would for those people who are friendless and different and disadvantaged. Because that's living out the gospel. So we want to be discerning. You can't hang out with everybody because some people are a bad influence on you. But don't be just in this holy huddle where it's just, just us three, you know, of Christians. You know, afraid of everybody else. No, let's have some compassion for other people. So I think that's a good balance. If our kids left our homes with discernment and compassion, when they go off to university, guess what they're going to take with them? A life of Christ. And they're going to seek out that fellowship and that connection, those friendships, and they're going to make way better choices. They're going to look at some people that are making poor choices, and they're going, I'll still be your friend, but I'm not going to you know, do what you're doing. And then they're going to look at other people that are ignored, and they're going to go, you know what? Let's show Jesus to those people. That's the kind of kid that can stand alone because they learn from our modeling as parents. So what does this look like in the community of faith we call church? The church is strategic to helping our kids learn this because a couple things. Parents want kids to have church friends. So the best way if you want your kids to have Christian friends is for you to have Christian friends. So come to church, be involved, be friendly, come early, Stay late. You know, just don't dart in for like part of the service. 
The other thing that we're finding out that we did at our church when we talked about this was it really helps if you can come to the same consistent service if you have elementary and preschool kids. Because elementary and preschool kids really get to know their teachers, and if they have the same teacher every week and the teacher gets to know their name, it really helps with that conversation. So if you can pull that off, that really helps. And then the last thing is just join a small group. If you're not involved in a home group or small group, something like that, that really helps your growth. I'm involved in the men's group that I meet at Eggs and Things. We meet at Eggs and Things every Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock. Stop on by, buy me breakfast. We're there. We've been together for 10 years because we do realize that we need each other as men to grow. A couple of years ago, one of the guys in February said, what are you guys doing for Valentine's? We go, when's Valentine's? He goes, it's Thursday. We're like, what? That's how we help each other grow. <laughs> <coughs> Just remembering stuff. You know. Little stuff like that, right? So what would be your action step for this last one with friendships? I think for me, being kind means looking at other people with a lens of grace. This doesn't have to be your application, but this is mine. If I can look at people that are in my family, honestly, some of them annoy me at times. Am I being too authentic right now? Okay. And some of them, just things they do, I'm just like, really? Again? You know? And it can be very, just the opposite of this. But if I look at them through a lens of grace, guess what? I'm looking at them the way that Jesus looks at them. And if you walk into our house in Newbury Park, on the soffit of our living room, right when you walk in, it says our family motto, grace finds beauty in everything. I stole it from Bono of you too. <laughs> grace finds beauty in everything. Because isn't that living out this verse? Look at the people that annoy you, people that disappoint you, people you want to be critical about people that get under your skin, and you go, where's the beauty in that? Where's the beauty in that? Where's the grace in that? And if you wait and you look at it through the lens that Jesus has for us, we, go, we kind of look at ourselves like how messed up we are, and then go, okay, I can find the beauty in that person. That person at work that gets under your skin. Grace finds beauty in them? Really, Lord? <laughs> so that's how I'm applying this third action step trying to apply the lens of grace to each person that I interact with. And here's what I'm finding. I tend not to be so critical. I tend not to be so negative. I actually tend to be friendlier <laughs> because I'm not judging them. That's just my action step. Maybe yours is different. But take a minute and just go, which should I do? Which, what at action step should I do to apply this area of friendships? Write it down right now. What does God say to you right now to strengthen your friendships? So today we talked about three ideas that you can strengthen faith at home. And you can actually just strengthen the health of your family regardless of what kind of family you come from, even if you're a single person. Which of those three do you want to work on? Don't do all three because you're older now and you can only do so much you might strain yourself, okay? You're busy. It's a new year. You have a whole year in front of you. God has given us 300 and some days left, right? Pick one. Words. Do I use, should I use my words to build others up? Two, consistency. By God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to have self-control and I'll be more consistent. Or three, I really need to build positive 
friendships in my life and I need to invest in other people's lives and being kind and compassionate and forgiving. Which of those three is God speaking to you right now that you could do this year? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us now by your spirit to focus in on just one area that you want us to pick that would make us more Christ-like in our parenting, in our home life. Help us to build others up with our words instead of tear them down. Help us to be consistent by the power of your Holy Spirit giving us self-control. And help us by your grace to build friendships and connections that are encouraging and supportive and loving because we really can't travel this journey alone, nor should we. So I thank you that your word is so powerful and so practical that it gives us these three ideas that we can use in our homes even this week. We ask it. We would choose one that you would empower us and we'd appreciate the results and you get all the credit. In Jesus' name, amen. That is so true, Lord. No other name, nothing under heaven and earth is more important than putting you first in our life, in our marriages, in our families, and in our relationships. As your heads are bowed, one of the takeaways was it's not about mustering up more strength on our own, but surrendering. And so today, maybe there's an area in your life that you need to surrender. You got to let go of it. Our elders are going to be up here afterwards just to pray with you, and they're coming now. Maybe you just want prayer to say, hey, I want to make 2014 different in my marriage, in my relationships. It's our desires that what we do on Sunday isn't just about taking in more content, but applying God's truth, praying through it, being vulnerable, and being transparent. So you come. Lord Jesus, I know that that message of being positive and lifting up really, really is something I have to apply. And so, Lord, I ask that each of us would take your word, apply it, live it, use it, and then lift up Jesus as we go through our life together. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, Tim's out at the table. Greet him. Thank you so much, and we'll see you on Tuesday night at Raising the Danger of Raising Nice Kids.